This is an AMI podcast. I'm Dave Brown, and this is a podcast version of AMI's Morning Show, now with Dave Brown. Catch the live broadcasts weekdays from 9 to 11 a.m. Eastern on AMI-audio and AMI-tv. Welcome back. It's the Now News Panel on AMI. I'm Dave Brown, joined by Drew Gupta and Michelle McQuig. Let's get into our next topic. Data released by Statistics Canada shows online crimes swelled during the pandemic. That includes a 300% increase in online extortion. Stephen Stower, the director of the national tip line, cybertip.ca, says they are seeing 300 online extortion cases a month, most targeting kids. There are a lot out there who feel ashamed by what's happened. Um, They worry about being blamed. Um, You know, in in some cases, kids are looking at it from the perspective of, well, I've shared this image, so it's now my fault. Canadian Centre for Child Protection Executive Director Leanna McDonald thinks the government needs to impose more guardrails around technology companies. And I think that's where I want to start, guys, in regards to the guardrails. Because when an advocate says, hey, we need more guardrails, to your mind, what do those guardrails look like? Michelle, what do you think could realistically be put in place? Wow. Um, Big question and a fraught one. And again, we're seeing how fraught it is in a different but related arena of government policy right now. We've talked a little bit on this panel about the federal government's efforts to get an online hate bill going. And that has been a very difficult effort. One one died, in fact, before the election. Now there's a fresh bill that's coming into play that they're hoping to get passed. This is a very thorny and difficult issue to navigate, and sextortion, of course, is in a whole other corner that has yet to be explored and doesn't necessarily fall under the guise of online hate, although one could argue that it does. Um, In terms of guardrails, this is really tricky because you're getting into issues of of how you regulate social medias, what what their policies are like, how they control their content, if they can control their content. So I don't know, to be honest with you, uh, in terms of ideas, this is always one that's left me scratching my head a little bit, but I do think it also involves discussion about mental health supports for youth. I don't think we can possibly have this discussion without just talking about what kind of resources, resources excuse me, are available to people who are facing situations like this. And we know that mental health supports are lacking for youth in general, and perhaps there needs to be some more specialized attention in this growing area now. Yeah, there's been a lot of research about the impact of social media on mental health of young people specifically, but just mental mm-hmm. health of people in general. Um, I, I, when I'm talking about guardrails, I do think that something along the lines of saying limiting the amount of direct messaging that somebody can do, especially if they're under the age of 18, might be good. But again, you have to be very careful with this stuff because there are a lot of young people in a lot of places that are using social media to very healthily get away from unhealthy environments and becoming who they are as individuals by utilizing social media. But I do think when you start talking about extortion, none of that can really be done without access to direct messaging or private messaging. And I wonder if maybe that's where some of the guardrails might start to come up. But again, this this can't necessarily be a wide swath, smack it with a frying pan issue. A lot of it needs to be really targeted. But Joita, what do you make of of the possibility of some guardrails? Are Are there any guardrails that come to mind for you? Well, I I struggle with the nuance inherent in this conversation and also with my own deficiencies. I'm not a, I don't have a lot of technological know-how. I will readily admit that I'm a complete Luddite, uh, which I think somewhat hampers my ability to make constructive remarks. With that said, 
I think some degree of age verification and ID, ID verification outside of what we normally do right now would not go amiss. Uh, for example, on a lot of websites, you're asked to check a box. Um, I am, I, I, I'm, you know, where you verify that you're over the age of 18, for example. I think we need to do a little bit better than that. Um, because, you know, there's no, there's no, there's no way to actually uh, ascertain whether the person who checked the box and verified that they're over the age of 18, for example, is actually over the age of 18. But beyond that, I think um, we we need to find figure out that these uh, sextortion campaigns and other scams have real world consequences. And so I just want to circle back to my point about ID verification. We have to find ways to figure out who these uh, people are, the extortionists in particular, who they are in real life, and that can become very tricky. Um, and so finding ways to get people to legitimately verify with ID would be one of the guardrails um, that I would like to see put in place. As to how you actually do that um, is beyond my pay grade. But I think one of the problems is that people are, are able to act anonymously and get away with acting anonymously and leave young people vulnerable. One of the reasons that this has gone up, uh, that this problem has shot up is largely because of the pandemic where kids have been isolated at home and uh, there's been a spike in online activity. And so I will echo Michelle's point about needing more mental health support. But I think um, it's really about cracking down on platforms and holding their feet to the fire and saying, you need to monitor your direct messaging. You need to monitor any kind of correspondence and have those red flags go up when it seems like a young and vulnerable person might be subject to harassment or might be subject to, her, to extortion. And that's one of the ways in which you can actually impose a strict and stringent guardrail yeah, because you, it's hard to get people to verify who they are on the internet, but you can certainly hold the platforms and companies accountable and get them to monitor conversations, to, to, to get to these problems before they snowball out of control. Julia, I'm but I wonder if that's, uh, Michelle, I think you and I are going to ask the same question, so go ahead. No, go, go, on, go on, Dave. No, please. All right. I just, I, I, I wonder how feasible that would really be in terms of monitoring. The, the blowback would be oh, uh, uh, unbelievable. Yeah, absolutely it would. I, I just don't know how if realistically that would work, even though I think it could, I think it's a sound idea in many senses and certainly one that would, would help. It would, I think it would be really effective. Perhaps the solution would be to silo things a little bit. And, and have more monitoring in place for those who do disclose an age of, of 18 or lower, 16 or lower, whatever they decide it's going to be. But there are so many logistics. So this is where I, I wish we could have someone from some of these platforms who could talk about what is realistically and technologically possible. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, so, so because we can't necessarily get into the algorithms and the codes, it's out. It's outside of our pay grade. I want to finish up on a blues oh, yeah. on a blue sky thought. And Joita, you mentioned anonymity. There, have we yeah. reached a point? where anonymity should no longer be acceptable on the internet because I'm not even talking about necessarily bots. I'm talking about burner accounts. I don't know about you guys, but I got a couple burner accounts for when I need to uh, monitor some uh, corners of the web that uh, maybe that Dave Brown's name shouldn't be attached to for the sake <laughs> of privacy concerns. I think that maybe we've reached the point, and, and this may be going along with what Joita was saying in regards to the way in which some of these messages just maybe monitored has it become too easy i suppose it's always been easy to be anonymous on the internet but have we reached that critical point where anonymity is no longer acceptable on the internet what do you think michelle 
I think that's an interesting question. And I, I would not personally lose a lot of sleep if anonymity were, were to become unacceptable. And I think we have seen some steps in that direction, not necessarily from the social media platforms, but it's something as basic as commenting platforms mm-hmm. on news sites, mm-hmm. right? Like we're seeing this now when people are saying you're not allowed to call yourself, you know, Yo Guy 25. You have to register with a proper name. Um, if more steps like that were to be taken, I don't think it would be a bad thing at all. I just don't know if it's actually going to happen. I guess I have a deep and broad streak of cynicism as to how much the world at large and the internet, some of the internet communities in particular, would undercut any efforts that yeah. are being made to tackle this issue. Yeah, and, and, I will say, though, that when anonymity is dropped there can be some major real consequences. I just want to very quickly plug the work of some of my colleagues in Vancouver who are covering currently the trial of Aidan Coban, who was charged in the sextortion of Amanda Todd, as who, as we know, killed herself because of what was happening. And uh, this is going to be a, ca- a case that will be resolved in the coming days, so stay tuned. Juita, into the, uh, blue, into the blue sky we go in regards to anonymity. What do you make of the idea that perhaps the internet has reached a point where we need to begin eliminating anonymity? Well, on the face of it, it seems like a good idea. Um, There's certainly an argument to be made for more transparency on the Internet, and a number of platforms have already taken steps in that direction. Uh, Facebook has had a long-standing policy uh, to try and root out these anonymous accounts. Whether they're actually successful in doing so is a whole other can of worms. Uh, Twitter has been called on to root out some of those dark corners and anonymous accounts um, because anonymity is one of those weird things where the more anonymously you can act, as I said a few minutes ago, the more likely you are to perpetuate behaviors that are harassing or discriminatory. On the other hand, take this scenario, you're a young uh, person who is questioning their sexuality and you live in a really small town where everybody knows everybody else and you rely on the anonymity of the internet to explore your sexuality safely maybe on an online um, you know discussion group or a facebook group so and so, so there are times when anonymity makes sense Um, And I think it's going to be a tricky one. It's not one of those uh, questions that yields a simple yes or no answer. Um, I think it it requires some amount of nuanced thinking. And the nuance is really where I struggle in in having this conversation with you. But as I, again, said a few minutes ago, and I think others have have made the point as well, even if we were to go with the argument that we should make the, the Internet a less anonymous place, how do you actually enforce that? I mean, like I said, Facebook has had this policy on the books for a really long time where you're not supposed to have fake names and your account should bear your first name and your last name. But I think we all know at least that one person who still uses a fake name on Facebook and, you know, their account is is not going to be Dave Brown or Michelle McQuig. It'll be a, a completely different name. And that's, you know, they, they prefer that for professional and privacy reasons. So or, enforcement. Or sometimes it's a real name. It's your real name. It's just not one that's easily identifiable. If you mm. saw Michelle Ann on Facebook, that could be me. It also could be how many other people? Yeah. And it would, yeah. I wouldn't be flouting any conventions by using that it would just be me getting my last name off out of out of the mix yeah i i still i i don't know why i keep coming back to this notion of messaging and private messaging and direct messaging but i wonder if the ability to surf anonymously should remain but the ability to message should be verifiable i i again i I think that again there's going to be workarounds people are going to figure out a million different ways to do this but i i think that at a certain point if you make it harder and harder and harder to be able to get people to be having those those private interactions that are dangerous at least you're keeping things in public where i'm a 
little more comfortable with some of those guardrails and red flags coming up as opposed to everybody being able to anybody in the Facebook building in uh, in wherever they are in California being able to uh, look at all my stuff. You know, I, I just I, I again because I, I agree with Joanna. There's nuance here. There's a middle ground here that goes well beyond simply saying anonymity is bad. But if if we're talking about like online crime increasing by hundreds of percent then we have to be thinking about solutions here and, and sometimes either that's either that's not waving the privacy flag when we need to or whether that's limiting the age of someone being being on social media or actually cracking down on the nefarious individuals like that would be good too guys thank you for this let's get out of here because we have one more topic to go you've been listening to now with dave brown hit the subscribe button on any podcast platform and leave us a rating and a review Hi, I'm Ramia Amuthan. Join me weekly for AMI Audiobook Review, the podcast that explores new titles, introduces us to famous narrators, and updates what's hot at the Center for Equitable Library Access. Download episodes of AMI Audiobook Review from your favorite podcast provider.